Hello everyone, welcome to a Browns-Steelers post-game edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are in the Browns press box as usual on a Sunday night. And we have to start with something not related to the game. I guess it's not related to the game. But as expected, Mary Kay, Joe Flacco is going to sign to the Browns practice squad. Uh, He'll likely end up on the active roster here at some point soon. Uh, But... You know, not a surprise that he's signing, but it is, you know, as of Sunday night now, it's going to happen. So what does this mean? Because I think some Browns fans might look at this as like, okay, Joe Flacco's coming here to start. Others might look at it as he's just coming here to be a veteran presence. What exactly does Joe Flacco as a Cleveland Brown look like? Well, the idea is, the initial plan is that he is coming in here to be a sort of a mentor to Dorian Thompson Robinson, and also an upgrade at number two quarterback over PJ Walker. And that's how it's supposed to go. Uh, but we're going to have to see what happens when, you know, when they watch this film. I, I think that Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to be the starter uh, next week in Denver, based in large part on his game winning drive at the end of this game. It wasn't going very well before then. But he got locked in, he got that, he got ice in his veins, and he went out and he completed four passes on that game-winning field goal drive, got them in position in a very difficult situation, tight game, maintained his composure, and was able to pull out this 13-10 victory and get Dustin Hopkins in position to kick that game-winning field goal. And I think when they review the film, they're going to see that Dorian Thompson Robinson had many of his passes dropped. I counted about six drops. Now, some of that might be because they're adjusting to a new quarterback, a new ball, and it's been a tough, it's been a tough year for the receivers and the pass catchers to have to do that. But it's their job. Like Amari Cooper always says, it's my job to catch the ball. It doesn't matter who's throwing it to me. So they need to support him better. But I think once they, you know, review it and evaluate it, I think they will keep him as the starter and bring Joe in as the number two. Okay, so we'll, um, and and we are going to spend more time on Dorian's game too, maybe what the Browns should do there. But Ashley, um, I mean, listen, Joe, they need a guy like Joe Flacco who's been there, who knows what it takes, probably has a pretty good idea of what this system is about um, and just can be another coach in that room because it is a, I mean, P.J. Walker's not young, but he hasn't played a ton. So it's just really important to have another veteran voice in there. Yeah, I mean, I think that is key. And, like, you also kind of saw the Browns do that last year when they had Jacoby Brissett in here with Deshaun Watson, right? And I don't think, like, Deshaun didn't need mentoring, quote-unquote, in the same way, obviously. But he is, like, another veteran guy or was another veteran guy here that could kind of help keep things level, help Deshaun Watson obviously go through all the -the off-the-field stuff last year and get through the suspension that he did. But... I do think that's important. Like, even if Joe Flacco just winds up being a backup quarterback here, like, that's an important role. We know how key those guys are when it comes to not just being ready to go at a moment's notice, which definitely helps when you're a veteran, but they're very active participants in helping the starter get ready for that opponent that week. And Joe Flacco's seen it all. So I do think at this stage, post-trade deadline, you don't have a ton of options, right? And this is a pretty good one, it seems, on surface level for what they need. Okay, so this becomes a little tricky, though, for Kevin, Mary Kay, um, because let's be honest, if Dorian Thompson-Robinson plays like he did today, 
there's going to be some folks who start clamoring for Joe Flacco. Now, the, the Browns are on the road the next two weeks, although that Rams game is probably going to sound a lot like a Browns home game. Um, maybe even Denver. I don't know. Browns fans travel really well to Denver as well. But um, they're coming home to Jacksonville in a few weeks. And if it's like two weeks of DTR kind of struggling to get the ball down the field, the offense not being very explosive, and then you're going against Jacksonville and maybe it's happening, it, you know, this is going to be interesting to see how Kevin handles all of this because that's sort of – it would be a big ask to say, Joe, go start against Denver. But you start to get to L.A., you start to get to Jacksonville – he should be up to speed and ready to go. It might get a little tricky for Kevin if Dorian doesn't pick it up. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. And that's why he's here. He's going to be here so that he can step in and start a game and that they don't have to start P.J. Walker again. People keep wanting to say, why, you know, why did they bench P.J. Walker? Well, he had one touchdown, five interceptions, one lost fumble, and a 51-something rating. You know, I mean, the pitching line just wasn't good. Um now, the thing about Joe Flacco, it, I just keep coming back to this. And, you know, you can't cry over spilt milk. But they had an opportunity to bring Jacoby Brissett back here. And they had an opportunity to bring Joshua Dobbs back here. And they really chose not to do either of those things. And Joe Flacco has gone 3-17 and 17 since leaving the Baltimore Ravens after the 2018 season. One and three with the Jets last year, like two and six with the Broncos when he was there in 2019. I mean, the, the record is, is bad. Now, a, quarterback, a quarterback's record doesn't always tell you the story of what the quarterback is doing. We do know that. But, you know, I, I just think that it, it just didn't have to come to this. Mm-hmm. It just I just don't think it had to come to this. And now they have to bring someone in just who doesn't know this football team who doesn't really run the kind of offense that they run. Um, and, you know, you could have Josh Dobbs right now. You could have Josh. You could have Jacoby. And I thought I think those would have been better options. But for what they have at their disposal right now, uh, you know, it seems like a, a good enough option. But I'm, I, I'm sure we will find out as we move <laughs> forward. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Joe Flacco has – put up amazing numbers either, right? And it's not like he's put up amazing numbers and lost those games. You know, last year, uh, five games, four starts with the Jets, five touchdowns, three picks. Um, He only played two games with the Jets in 2021. Uh, In 2020, it was six touchdowns, three picks. I mean, this is a guy that doesn't move a lot. He's had some really high interception seasons. Uh, You're looking at 15, 13, double-digit interceptions almost every year of his career as a full-time starter. So... I do think the one thing he can do, though, is get the ball downfield, right? Like, and that's that's what you just don't have right now. It seems like with DTR now, maybe that opens up a little bit as he gets more comfortable and Kevin kind of figures this out a little more with him. But based on what we saw today, it seems like it's a struggle getting the ball down the field. And Ashley, we know Amari Cooper. If you're not getting the ball down the field to him, you're wasting some big opportunities there. I mean, that's what Amari does best, and his route running is, you know, he is the route runner. He is, like, the premier route runner in the NFL. He can get open and make those big plays for you. But, yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with Mary Kay. Like, this is the option that they have now that is good enough, but there was a better option prior to the trade deadline. There were actually two better options prior to the trade deadline, and there was a better option in August, which was just don't (laughs) trade Joshua Dobbs at all, which we can now see based on what he's done in Minnesota after the Cardinals traded him. 
So I just think in hindsight, like, of course, you know, I'm saying that, but I do really, truly think I felt this at the beginning of it. And I just think ultimately the picks, whatever you have to do to get one of those guys, it's invaluable at a certain point. So Joe Flacco has been what he's been post the Ravens, but at the very least, like I said, at least he's that veteran calming presence. And hopefully that's enough because again, they have limited options at this point. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if Joe Flacco gets on the field for this team. Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's going to happen. That's that's where I'm at. Here, we're going we're gonna to call our shots here. I feel like it's going to happen at some point, Mary Kay. Joe Flacco is going to start games for this team. Do you agree? I do agree. I do agree, if, if for nothing else, just because it's hard for a quarterback to, you know, to stay upright and to continue on and to start a bunch of games in a row. And they've already had a bunch of different quarterback changes on this team so far. They've already started three this season. And um, so I do think that there is a chance. And why is that? Because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. Now, they are fortunate then that when they venture into Cincinnati for the season finale, that Joe Burrow is not going to be playing in that game. Because if this had to come down to DTR versus Joe Burrow, in Cincinnati in the season finale to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs or win the division or not win the division, that would be a tall order. But, you know, they don't have to worry about that. They have other winnable games. So, you know, he can probably get by for a while. But if not, if they see that it's not going the way that they need it to go, they could try to go to Joe. Ashley, are we going to see Joe this uh, this year start a game? Probably. It just feels like that's in the, you know, what's it called in Hollywood where they do storyboard. It's like in the storyboard of this Brown season, the way things have gone so far, it feels like it's inevitable that that's just going to happen for one reason or the other. But I will be interested, especially because like this is actually something that we talked about a lot towards the end of Baker Mayfield's tenure. And that's like, what do you do in the NFL when you have a quarterback and you're worried that like benching him is going to further harm his confidence and all that. And I do think we have to remember DTR is a rookie. He was essentially benched once. He lost the backup job after that Ravens game in week four, and they you know moved PJ Walker into it. But I do think that could potentially be interesting here is how long is that leash for DTR going to be? What mistakes are they going to tolerate versus what are they aren't what are they not going to tolerate? And all that stuff. I mean, I definitely think that that is maybe an underrated thing to sort of watch out for with this. Yeah, DTR's final stat line, 24-43, 165, uh, through a pick of 54-9 rating. His long on the day was 18. And in that second half, it got really crowded uh, for this offense. They really couldn't run the ball, and it seemed like the Steelers were all over um, some of those pass plays. And now, to Mary Kay's point, there were a lot of drops, too. Um, so that, that did not help DTR either. All right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to do, uh, let's each throw out our one thing, our one takeaway from this football game today here on our Browns Steelers postgame podcast. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock at Browns Stadium here. It's about uh, 9.50 on Sunday night. Yeah, it's that late. I can't believe it. Uh, so we're turning the podcast on its head a little bit. We did Joe Flacco first, kind of the big thing, and now we're each going to offer up a takeaway from this game. Uh, so Mary Kay, what do you have? 
You know, I'm going to go with DTR. He did rebound. He pulled it together at the end of the game. And it, again, it wasn't just him. I was very disappointed in the way his supporting cast did not support him today, especially David Njoku. I mean, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen David Njoku play. It really was. I, count, I had him down for about four drops. He said it's unacceptable, and I'm here to agree with him. That was horrible. And he said he's going home to get on the jugs machine. He better stay up really late tonight <laughs> on the jugs machine because, you know, that just can't happen. I mean, DTR called him the best tight end in the NFL. Well, you know what? I, I just have to disagree with him on that. <laughs> that is not a hot take to disagree that with. That's not, not an I insult mean, to David, and that's no, not a hot take. The best tight end in the NFL is a guy on the Chiefs, as one <laughs> pop star once said. Exactly. Um, and, you know, nice compliment, nice vote of confidence from DTR uh, to the tight end that he's going to need to come through for him over the next, how many of her games are left? Seven? Seven. Seven oh, games left. He's going to need David to be there for him, to come through for him. And I'm sure he will after this. Maybe this will be a turning point for David because that was bad and not okay. And, you know, poor DTR that, you know, he got these guys – uh, you know, in, in position to make plays and delivered the ball for the most part, the where it, you know, where it needed to go at least half a dozen times. And, uh, and they were dropping it out there. So, uh, you know, I think they need to do a better job for him. And because of what I saw out there today, I think he earned the start in Denver. I think he'll get that. Um, and I just thought he had ice in his veins on that final drive. And that's what you need to see from your quarterback. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you know, one of the things I'm writing today is this was a very Steelers win for the Browns. They kind of were just off. They were really bad on offense for three and a half quarters or even really 58 minutes of this game. But then all of a sudden your quarterback comes to life, makes some throws, and, and you go win the game on a last, uh, not, not a last second field goal, but, um, you know, close to last second field goal with about two seconds left. So I don't know. The game-winning drive was great. And it was good to see DTR make those throws. And look, this was a step up from the Baltimore performance, Ashley. It was not, he did not look lost out there. But I still worry that there was just, I mean, these drops weren't 30 yards down the field. You know, these were bad drops, obviously. But I still worry that, I, I don't know if DTR can get the ball downfield with any consistency. And that's going to be an issue. Yeah, and I think the thing about drops, right, and it's like, I, I get the philosophy, and, and I largely do this too, where like if the ball hits a guy in the hands, it should be a catch, right? Like if it hits him in the hands, I'm calling that a drop. But sometimes with these throws, like there are the elements that we don't know. Was a throw slightly off target from where it should have been or not quite on time? Was the timing just not there? And those are things that you hope kinks that eventually get worked out throughout the course of DTR getting more game reps. And I do think it's kind of hard to tell in some of those instances who is really at fault. But I do think when you are having that many drops, at least, at the very least, it's going to impact anyone's confidence. These guys are human to even want to take that risk and take those shots, I think. Okay, Ashley, what's your takeaway here? I think my takeaway is going to be focused on the defense and it's kind of what I wrote about after the game, which is it felt like today wasn't perfect, right? Like the defense still did pretty good. Um, they only gave up 10 points, obviously, but they did have some issues. They missed some tackles. They let the Steelers get going on the ground a little bit. 
in the second half, Jalen Warren finished with 129 yards, and 110 of those yards came after halftime. 74 came on one yeah. big touchdown run for him. So I do think we, we saw guys own up to those mistakes. But what I thought was really cool and just kind of spoke to the story of this defense is there were so many guys who made big plays at different moments, and I kind of outlined them all in the story I wrote after the game that's up now on cleveland.com slash browns, but you know, you have Miles Garrett getting that sack at the very beginning of the game. You had that insanely hard tackle Denzel Ward made against Najee Harris in the third quarter when his helmet flew off. You had Z getting a big run stop. He like ran across the field after the Browns lost that challenge on fourth and one that he kind of helped swing the momentum back and they had to punt at the end of that drive. Um, you have with the after the interception, they force a three and out. Taki Taki bats a pass on the very first play of that drive. Um, you had Oval get a couple big run stops in the fourth quarter. Like you can just pinpoint almost every drive. It was a different guy making a big play for them. And I do think, you know, guys talk about it, and again, I think sometimes it can sound like coach or player speak, but these guys really, I think, rely on one another. They trust in one another, and you really are seeing that. And I mean, for me, who this is my third season around the team, this is like the first time I've looked at this defense, and you don't feel that tension bubbling underneath the surface when breakdowns are happening. Like, they're confident they're going to solve whatever problems they're having, and I think we saw it today. And Mary Kay Miles touched on that a little bit after the game, um, just sort of how the attitude is different and how there's it's it's just different. It sounds like there's more leadership. It sounds like there's more accountability. Um, I, I think the just the attitude and just in the building, it's different than it's been in years past. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that is definitely by design. I think that Jim Schwartz has really changed the culture, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. All you have to do when we talk about Joe Flacco is look back to week two last year when the Browns were melting down and collapsing in the final 82 seconds of that game when he threw those two touchdown passes and they were pointing fingers at each other and shrugging their shoulders. And we saw that a lot throughout the season. We saw plenty of finger pointing throughout last season. And that doesn't happen this year. These guys lift each other up. Uh, they're, they're bonded. They're very close. They're a close-knit football team, and uh, they're, they're all for one and one for all. And, and I do think that that's why they – it's a major reason why they're 7-3 and three right now. Yeah, I mean, the drive that, that I think kind of changed things, right, it just felt like this was going to – the Steelers were going to come in and steal another game, right, that they were trailing in the fourth quarter. So Boswell hits the 28-yard field goal. Browns go three and out. Pittsburgh takes over at their own 48, and they immediately get to the Browns' 40, and you're starting to think, oh, oh boy, Chris Boswell is going to kick another field goal. Steelers are going to come from behind in the fourth quarter and do this again, and nobody's going to know how they did it. And then, you know, Ashley, there's that oboe run stop, that five-yard loss that, that puts Pittsburgh back at the 45. And at that point, it's too far away for them to kick a field goal into the dog pound, and they don't yeah. want to give the Browns the ball in a spot where their offense has a short field. So, I mean, that one play changes maybe the outcome of the game or the outlook of a game because it makes it so the Steelers can't kick that field goal and maybe steal a win. And even think what Oboe did on the play before that, that was when he couldn't get the sack or the hit on Kenny Pickett like he wanted, but he kind of like jumped at him and got his hands in his face and it like it kind of rattled Kenny Pickett a little bit and he threw the ball, like he just had to down the ball basically into the ground. He just threw it to get it away. But I mean, yeah, it's like you look throughout the game and 
you have plays like that that just not only change the momentum, but had tangible impact of you look at a team like the Steelers and how they win games and how they tend to succeed off of the mistakes made by opposing offenses. And the Browns just didn't let them muck it up enough today for them to do that here. Okay, my takeaway is a little bit big picture. Do you realize right now it's 7-3, and three, depending what happens on Monday Night Football, the Browns could be a half game from the number one seed. They had Kansas City's seven and two, Baltimore's eight and three. And then there's a bunch of seven and three teams. They're actually two up in the loss column of the number eight team. So everybody who's in the postseason picture now has four losses or less. And then Buffalo, Indy, Cincinnati, they all have five losses. So the Browns are two ahead of those teams in the loss column to just be out of the playoffs. They just went two and zero oh against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I don't know what these next seven games are going to hold. I don't know what they can do with Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, but I I kind of said this on our video. It's a whole lot better to try and figure this stuff out and find out how this is going to go when you're starting off at seven and three than if you were like Cincinnati right now, who's five and five. Uh, This team has put themselves in a position where they have some room for error, and it would be great if you go on this trip and win both games, but even if they go one and one in these games, They've still got a chance to get to the postseason and get where they want to go. They've given themselves a tiny bit of wiggle room here, Mary Kay. They really have. I mean, at seven and three, you are well on your way to making the playoffs. And the Ravens have a much tougher schedule than the Browns do the rest of the way. So the AFC North is certainly not out of the question by any stretch of the imagination, especially with a defense like this. So I think the outlook still looks very bright for them. Again, anything can still happen. But winning these two games, this was so crucial, so pivotal. And to be able to pull this one off with your rookie quarterback and you only scoring 13 points, I mean, I think that tells you a whole lot about this Cleveland Browns football team and why they should be able to not only make the playoffs, but make a little noise in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if we're doing the schedule game and you need 10 wins to have a chance, all you have to do is win three out of seven. Mm -hmm. And you've got, like I said, you've got Denver and L.A. coming up. You've got Chicago on the schedule. Um, You know, Houston is good, but that's still a rookie quarterback. There, there should be three or four wins on this schedule if they can get this thing figured out with either DTR or Joe Flacco. And I talked about this, I think, last week after the Ravens game. Like, I think in the NFL, a lot of times it's important to, especially in that game, because they were on the road, right? Baltimore's ahead of them in the division standings. To steal a game like that can go a long way. Because I think the reality is, In the NFL, a lot of times, even good teams, they're going to lose like one or two games throughout the course of the year that they shouldn't lose. Someone else is going to steal a game from them. So how can you make that up? And can you make it up preemptively when the pressure isn't on in the same way? And I think that's huge. I mean, we came into this two-game stretch after that Cardinals game saying, if they can just go one and one, that's all they have to do. And they didn't just go one and one. They went two and oh. And I think ultimately, like you said, when you said seven games left, I'm like, That's a lot, but it's also not. Like, I'm thinking from our perspective, seven games from now feels like a long way away. But it's really not. And I think they have put themselves in a really good position. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was thinking, so when Mary Kay asked how many weeks were left, the answer was seven. And I kind of like, I wanted to just sigh because that feels so long. (laughs) 
But you're right. I mean, like all of a sudden it's Thanksgiving week. It's yeah. completely snuck up on us. And before we know it, we're going to be on airplanes flying to Houston for a Christmas Eve game. Like it's long, but it's not Mary Kay. And this thing, you know, we're going to get there pretty quickly to the point where it's, hey, you win a game and you're in the playoffs or you lose a game and you're out of the playoffs. This is going to start to get tight and the Browns are in a good position. Yeah, and that's why, like I said, just the loss of of Joe Burrow alone, uh, you know, impacts this division in a profound way because, you know, the Steelers, they still have to play the Bengals twice. Uh, you know, so things could still kind of get a little jumbled up. Now, I just don't think that's a very good football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And they have been living off their takeaways. And that's why... They didn't win today because they needed one more takeaway today if they were going to try to win this football game and they couldn't get it. Um, but just the way that this is shaping up for down the stretch, uh, the Browns defense is is just so darn good that that I think they're going to carry them maybe to an AFC North championship. But I'm almost positive they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, at this point, that should be the expectation. Like, if you don't, if you don't make the playoffs at this point, actually, I don't think it's too hard to say that. I hate to use the word failure because of all the things that have happened on the offensive side of the ball. But like, you're seven and three at this point. You should make the playoffs, and I think it would be a. a I guess I'll say disappointment. Yeah. It would be a a disappointment if they didn't at this point. Yeah, I do think if we're if we want to. Um you know, hedge our bets a little, so to speak. <laughs> Disappointment is the better word here. But, yeah, I mean, I think, too, you look at this team and some of the situations they get themselves into, especially over the last two weeks, and I just can't, you know, help but think of the, the same old Browns phrase that fans like to use. And just so many aspects of this team, I think, because of the defense, just feel different. And it's what I was talking about earlier, that – even when things go haywire a little bit, we haven't seen that like colossal breakdown that is causing them to yell at each other in the locker room like they did in Baltimore last year or have players publicly question their defensive coordinator like happened throughout 2021. Like those things aren't happening. And I think too, when you just see opposing teams and see what those defenses look like compared to this defense, like you start to realize that they have something special brewing here. And when you have this good of a defense, we've seen teams do this before. The one thing to keep an eye on, just a quick note, since this is a post-game pod, is injuries, right? We know what they've done to the offensive side of the ball. Um, Anthony Walker left this game with a hamstring injury. We'll monitor that as, as we go through the week, and you know, hopefully that's not something long-term. Rodney McLeod. This is purely speculative, but it didn't seem good. Um, a biceps injury, they ruled him out almost immediately, which is never a good sign. Uh, he's, he's your third safety, but Juan Thornhill has had some injury issues. So Rodney, a, a pretty important piece of this defense. If they end up losing him, uh, especially for the season, that would hurt. So that's the one thing, like, as they're going along here and they don't have a bye, the, let's, they got to hope that this defense stays healthy and, and that they don't start to get ravaged on that side of the ball too because it is getting to the point where they're – they're starting to run out of bodies and you can only take so much. But 
Let's keep it positive. The Browns won 13-10 over the Steelers, two in a row now against the AFC North. They beat Baltimore and Pittsburgh for the first time in back-to-back weeks. Uh, pretty impressive there. And they are 7-3 and three, uh, on the season. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and become a football insider. Subscribe at cleveland.com slash browse the blue banner at the top of the page for that. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.